0: By the time this interview takes place, we've been eight months into a pandemic situation. With remote work, remote learning, forcing both schools and enterprises to change the way their operations are done by making them more distributed, are we witnessing a revolution in learning here? You hinted at that earlier, Krista, that obviously uh, many of us have children at home. We cannot go to school. They use all kinds of devices like Zoom or or Teams or other ways to interact with their teachers and their classroom. Who is at risk here? Who benefits the most from this distribution? Are there any pluses, any positive development that can actually enhance science and the technology of learning?
1: Yes, a lot to unpack there, I think. So I think this in some ways is a forced opportunity. So we just talked about the costs associated with moving to adaptive learning. Well, now schools and all other organizations are forced to do things in the virtual manner using technology. So they're already having to rethink how they learn. So we could use this as an opportunity perhaps to capitalize on that and think about how adaptive learning could become more mainstream. I also think, and this is a a bit of an ancillary opportunity here, but I think about my daughter who's been forced into this virtual learning environment and it almost gives her a chance to learn some new skills as it relates to learning. And what I mean by that is self-learning and learning how to do things on your own and manage your time and understand what you know and you don't know are skills related to learning themselves that she might not get the opportunity to practice as much in the classroom. And it's forcing a new way of learning.
0: And so what, what you learn in college, Christa, she's learning already.
1: When that's she's- right. <laughs> so she's going to be way ahead, you know, assuming she can pick it up. But if she can't, then that has, of course, negative repercussions. And so, leading to the, <coughs> that risk, you know, certainly the issue that Janet raised before about equity, there's inequity in technology. Those kids that are home that don't have access to technology or they don't have Wi Fi or whatever, that's a huge risk. And then I also think about those skills that are hard to teach outside of the classroom. All of those things that we talked about before that make a great organizational member, things like cooperation and my four-year-old not really learning how to share with others in person. And there's been really interesting studies in the past that show how those pre-K and kindergarten years and those really early years in education are so formative, not because you're learning your alphabet and you know how to write your name, but because you are learning those people interaction skills. And so I wonder about the lack of learning those things in that in-person environment and think about how we can use technology to perhaps enhance some of these virtual learning experiences to try to teach some of those. But that's a very hard nut to crack.
0: Well, thanks for sharing all that. And certainly that's a picture that is pretty drastic and ends up asking more questions that it answers regarding the education of children. But Janet, if you look at professional training, if you look at adult education and just, you know, lifelong learning or professional training, the domain that you are supporting right now in your job. How is it affected by all that?
2: Thank you, Danielle. That's a question I was really hoping you would ask me. I think from an adult learning standpoint, the past months have been incredibly disruptive, but also paradigm changing. I'm not sure I would go quite as far as calling it a witnessing of a revolution of learning, but I've heard people refer to COVID-19 as a black swan event. Black Swan being one of those unforeseen events that changes everything. And I think we are seeing it change so many things. And as, as a huge proponent for distributed and remote learning, I think it's been so much more of a catalyst for change and adoption than the decades of my career that have included case studies and conference presentations on the benefit of distributed and remote learning. So I think it's incredible when you look at the fact that every instructor in a military schoolhouse, every faculty member is delivering education online. Every student is receiving education online, give or take to some extent, right? So people who had resisted it, I mean, it's basically, it's a practical matter now to accept it. And adopted. And I think that so much of that will be good and enduring. But I think it also, as Krista mentioned, it brings to the forefront, again, the need for equity and access to the resources. It brings to the forefront the need for good design and tailored learning experiences.
0: These are very powerful arguments. And in a sense, perhaps the beneficiary, if not the winner of this terrible tragedy that we are living with the pandemic, is a notion, you say the word learning design, the science of learning, the notion that precisely those more formal ways to look at learning as something very specific and very intentional you need to design and to analyze is going to be actually accentuated by this new structure because the differences are going to make more impact. There is less room for just trial and error. So... If we look at another trend, some people have talked about uh, acceleration of the competency gap during a lifelong career, for example. You know, the manufacturing worker, I had this fascinating conversation a couple of days ago with such a person, say, you know, you, you knew your job and you were coming and doing your job with the machine the same way again and again. And you could stay with those skills for years, decades maybe, and then retire. But today, both of you have mentioned earlier that the changing environment, the acceleration, the introducing a new intelligent technologies, even in a manufacturing floor, let alone in the military when the adoption of technology is exponential, require basically a worker to learn all the time. The skill that she knew six months ago are almost obsolete now because the technology is different, because the environment is different. In that merger of working and learning at the same time, can you comment a little bit about the need to upskill the workers continuously as there are changes at work? What will be needed in that case in terms of all the bags of tricks that you have right now in terms of the training techniques, training technologies, science of learning, how do we do that how do we look at school as being basically this continuous situation not a training event
1: so i think there's a couple points that come to mind one is going back to this notion of learning how to learn so if a manufacturer worker is used to doing their job on one piece of technology that technology changes and it changes how they do their job or what they need to know about the technology, then there needs to be that exploration phase. So what's different now? How does that change what I need to do? And a little bit of that, let me get into this a little bit and think, think a little bit about what needs to happen and how that impacts me. So it comes back to some of those softer skills, I think. And this is a little bit outside of the learning piece, but with the technology as well, it's the design of that technology. People need to feel comfortable working with it so they can interact with it. They can explore it. They can learn how to work with it. And so I think that those two things married together are important when we talk about this upskilling.
0: So it's interesting. You're linking basically the two parts of Jeanette's career that she shared with us earlier, which is that human-machine interaction, human-computer interface design, and the learning. And now, because those computers and those artificial intelligence and autonomous systems are changing, it's not just the design of the interaction that you have to learn, you have also to teach how to work with those changing systems over a lifetime. How do we solve this problem, Janet? How do we start addressing it?
2: Right. So... Earlier in my career, back in the early 2000s, I was in New York City working with Payne Weber on a project, and they used the term workplace learning, which really intrigued me at the time. And they had adopted that term because they recognized that research had said that about 80% of our learning occurs informally through our work through self-directed learning, through our networking, coaching, et cetera. So they were really interested in ensuring that this continuous learning and job support was kind of baked in to a person's natural flow of work. And that was nearly 20 years ago. And certainly the interconnectedness of systems and networking and data flow and technologies today afford us much better opportunity to do that. But I think it also requires thinking about efficiency so that we're not requiring that person to context switch or turn away from their work in order to get upskilling or support, Mm -hmm. but to contextualize it, to put it as close into the context of the activity that they're performing at that time, but to allow them to continue to gain skills, to transfer those skills.
0: So let me maybe wrap up with a broader question about in the near future, both of you have your fingers really on the latest science, the latest technology, but also the latest needs from the field. What do you think are the top research challenges in the field of learning science in the near future? Is that a technology issue? Is that learning science issue? Is that an artificial intelligence or is that broader?
1: I think all of those things that you just mentioned are important and are challenging and deserve much more attention. As we just started getting into a little bit, this interplay between the human and the technology deserves a lot more attention and needs a lot more attention because that interaction is just going to become more pervasive across the board, whether that be the technology is a teammate or you are using technology to learn in some way. We need to figure out what that looks like and really how to capitalize on it. Technology has so many things that it brings to the table in so many different ways. It allows me to pull up information in the palm of my hand right now, right? It could remind me of something, right? It can serve as a a learning partner to me in so many different ways, but how can we really know when we should use it or how we should use it? Again, Coming back to that learner profile and all of the data that we really need on that individual to make sure that we are using that technology in a way that's going to benefit them and not handicap them, because then you get into other issues of maybe over-reliance on technology. How many people these days can navigate off of a real map? Probably not many because I plug in an address in my phone and it tells me where to go. So do I need to remember? No. <laughs> and that's okay because that's not my job. That's not anything critical. But you could imagine that in a more critical environment if I am all of a sudden without my technology and I need to do my job and I don't know how because my technology has always done it for me, then that's going to be a problem. So. Really thinking critically about how to best use technology and when to use it, I think is certainly important as we move forward.
0: So that's interesting. You're saying that it's not only that we need to develop the competency necessary to make the best out of those intelligent technologies, autonomous technology that are surrounding us, but you also made a remark that those very intelligent technologies should have in them... That electronic learning record or uh, electronic learning profile, so that they know it knows how to make me learn as a worker, as a human being, optimally. So it's a very symbiotic relationship between the two sides that you're proposing at the future way, not just in terms of the design, but in terms of understanding the learning design aspect. Janet?
2: Yes, absolutely. So for enterprise training, think the challenges are very similar. So interoperability continues to be a huge challenge. So if you have a student in a military schoolhouse and then going to their first duty station and going through promotions, the ability for that learner record to follow them through their career. Also to have open standards, right? So not proprietary or lockdown standards, but open standards for both performance data and also the learner records, because today individual learner records are distributed across a lot of different systems. They're owned by different organizations, functional components, and they're often locked into proprietary data format. So the sharing of that isn't easy as a result, especially across organizational boundaries. This year, the Department of Defense launched a new initiative to begin to chip away at this problem. It's called the Enterprise Digital Learning Modernization Initiative. And the Advanced Distributed Learning Initiative, ADL, is also taking a lot of that guidance and moving forward to begin to identify some of these standards and interface protocols for learning records. And the goal of all of that is to ensure available across the globe data about individual learners and teams that would be available to any organization needing it. And that's huge.
0: That's fascinating. It's fascinating also to me that the theme of today, which is learning, is also, in a strange way, the essence of the new wave of artificial intelligence. People designing artificial intelligence systems are trying to teach these systems how to learn. That's what machine learning is about. And what was a very uniquely human endeavor is also becoming now a machine endeavor. And I think this, plus all the standardization, where learning can be an asset for enterprises, for schools, for the military, for entire nations, for me, is fascinating. It's becoming a new currency, all enabled by this abundance and sometimes inflation of data. And you already warned us about what to do and what not to do with those data.